This is a Radio 191 FM podcast. Kia ora, morena koutou, and haere mai. Ko Scott Aho, you are listening to R1 News for Rapare, Thursday the 28th of April on Te Reo Irirangi Kotahi. Coming up on the programme i tēnā news reporter Quentin Jane speaks to Patrice Lesueur, the OUSA residential representative, about the Cutlass flat drop, which on Tuesday saw the first of the flats for 2023 released to prospective tenants. After that, we speak with Associate Professor Melanie Bedefs about the government's release of new sex education materials for teachers and corresponding repeal of consent education programs. Finally, we speak with Martin Newell of from Grounded Kiwis about their win against the Ministry of Health in the High Court on Wednesday, where they ruled that it was inevitable that the lottery process operated unjustly in individual cases. Before all this, Eileen will deliver the bulletin, but first, it's just set with Comfort Show. The Kereru. Or more commonly known as the New Zealand Pigeon. And isn't love important? <laughs> <laughs> Only the finest
That was Joe Set with Comfort Show. You're listening to R1 News. Now we'll have the news bulletin with Eileen. This is the news on Radio 191 FM. $1.4 billion have been allocated to build 16,000 new houses in Tamaki Makoto. Minister for Housing Megan Woods announced the funding this morning as part of the government's $3.8 billion housing acceleration fund aimed at financing infrastructure allowing for better residential development. Today's announcement will fund infrastructure and land decontamination in the suburbs of Mount Roskill, Mangare, Tamaki, Oranga and Northcote, allowing for approximately 4,000 outdated Kainga Ora homes to be replaced, 2,000 new Kainga Ora builds and 10,000 affordable homes to go on market. The Labour Party has announced its endorsement of Dunedin City Council candidates Steve Walker and Joy Davis ahead of local body elections later this year. Walker is a current councillor, while Davis is regional coordinator for Otago Neighbourhood Support and previous deputy chairwoman of the Mosgiel Tyadi Community Board. Current Mayor Aaron Hawkins is seeking re-election and has been endorsed by the Green Party, whilst councillor Jules Raddick is leading a ticket under the name Team Dunedin. Local body elections are being held in October. The United States is no longer in a full-blown pandemic phase, according to Chief Medical Advisor Dr Anthony Fauci. Speaking to the Washington Post, Fauci said that the nation is in a transitional phase to lower numbers and more control over the spread of the virus. He emphasised that the pandemic is not over, but that he hopes that population has gained immunity from vaccinations and previous infections to avoid a surge in hospitalisations and deaths. Close to one million Americans have died as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic. And that was the bulletin on the R1 News. Now, the weather. The Radio 191 FM weather. I tēnei rā, can expect a high of 16 and a low of 8, with cloud cover clearing in the afternoon and light winds. Tomorrow, expect sunny skies and a high of 15, a low of 9. Up next on the show, Quentin Jane will be talking to Pat- Patrice Lesueur from OUSA. But, but first it is Big Seema with Truth. Mama 
mistakes because I made it myself. This way I can break it all down. They may forget what you did, but they always remember the way that it felt that I'm living my life in accordance. Removing the borders, the freedom is always a key to the door that you needed. Believing your reason is calling for me. Kind of like autumn, we fall like the leaves, and we lucky enough to be caught in the breeze. The fawn of the flow of the forest of trees. Hoping we all can agree. Without him, there is no way for us to breathe. That's why your support is important to me. Because I want us all to be free. Be everything that we wanted to be. To me, that was always a dream. Hey. My mind is always open and careful one is broken. In times it's made me broken. And maybe that's why I'm still rolling. My mind is always open and careful one is broken. In times it's made me broken. And that's why I'm still rolling. Never
Kiora Morena Koto Kosnaina Aho. That was Z, a Dunedin artist with Indigo. Next up, news reporter Quentin Jane speaks to Patrice Lesueur, the OUSA residential representative, about the Cutlass flat drop last Tuesday. You are listening to Radio 191 FM, and this is the news show with Sinaina and Scott. The first flats for the 2023 flat hunt season were released on Tuesday, with Cutlers launching their Castle and Leith Street flat drop. This flat release has caused a bit of a stir, with these flats being released before the current tenants have even spent a full four months living in them. Matt Cutler, Managing Director of infamous property management firm Cutlers, told R1 News that the Castle and Leith Street flat drop takes place so early in the year in response to demand from students. Cutler said that his firm is fielding emails from prospective tenants from early March. Originally, Cutlers didn't advertise these flats until August, but according to Cutler, this date has shifted earlier over the years. Under the recent changes to the Residential Tenancies Act, tenants can stay in their current properties at the end of their fixed-term agreements if they wish to. This extended tenancy becomes periodic, meaning it has no fixed end date. The only way that this cannot occur is if tenants and landlords come to an agreement to start a new fixed-term tenancy, or if tenants express their desire not to continue with the tenancy when the fixed term ends. If tenants wish to end their fixed-term tenancy and not continue with a periodic one, they only need to give notice to their landlords up to 28 days before the end of the tenancy. Cutler told R1 News that they believed releasing the flats for 2023 this early wasn't a violation of the new rights under the Residential Tenancies Act, as tenants of these properties had expressed their desire not to re-sign these flats for following years. Patrice Lesueur is the OUSA residential representative this year, who was elected on a campaign to push back the dates for the infamous Dunedin student flat hunt. We spoke to him about the Cutler's Castle and Leith Street flat drop for 2023. Um, so first things first, have OUSA been negotiating with landlords and property managers to push back the flat hunt to later in the year? In short, yes. We're in kind of early discussions with some select property management companies, and that's just because um, those ones actually started approaching me because they're quite worried about the tenancy law changes that we're facing at the moment. So um, I don't think the flat hunt is really going to be pushed back through negotiation for this year. It's probably going to be more of a hybrid for this year, but hopefully um, next year we'll have an MOU signed by by the end of this year. So next year, the 2023 into 2024 flat hunt should be in semester two. And have those discussions been productive? Yeah, they've been super productive. Um, Most of the property management companies um, have wanted this change for years, but um, they think it's a student issue or like an OUSA issue, so they don't really think it's um, it's up to them. So they're kind of surprised that um, it's only happening now. So, yeah, no, it's been – they've all been very open to it, which is good. And so what is your reaction to the Cutler's flat drop for Castle and Leith Street taking place so early? Well, I'm not very surprised that it's taking place so early, but um, – I do think that it's obviously way too early to be happening. Like it's been going on for year after year. Um, but I haven't had any contact with Cutlers um, personally. So I'm sort of, I would I expected them to release the Castle and Leith in April because um, Castle and Leith flats around that area tend to go in April or so and kind of um, exist in a sort of separate bubble to the rest of the flats in Dunedin. 
And so I got a statement from Cutlers telling us that they list their Castle and Leith Street flats this early in the year in response to student demand. They get emails in the start of March and whatnot. Uh, what's your take on that statement from Cutlers? I think it's a half-truth. From my conversations with other property management companies, it is true that the companies get a lot of pressure from um, first-year students going into um going into their second year and they want to get a castle or leaf flat really early. So they start ringing and emailing and stuff. Um, and that actually does put a lot of pressure, particularly on the small companies who only have one or two people actually answering the phone. So they're spending all their time taking phone calls from first years and things. So I kind of, I can see that that is true, but at the same time they are um, a business and so they should be able to handle um, getting a lot of phone calls from first years and, uh, should be able to take those phone calls, say no, and then make a reasonable decision about when the flats are released, you know, with the actual community in mind and not just um, kind of relenting to 18-year-olds who don't really know what they're supposed to be doing. Indeed. And so what impact do you think that these early listings have on the current tenants of these flats on Castle and Leith? Um, for Castle and Leith, it's not as big of a problem as it is for everybody else because if, for Castle and Leith students, they're generally not going to re-sign for the following year because they only want to live there for second year. So it's not a huge problem, um, but the only problem is um, they will start getting door knockers, which is going to be very frustrating, and that's probably um, the biggest issue. So it's not so much sort of being pressured to um, whether to stay or not, which is the biggest problem for most other students, but it's the door knockers which are going to start coming around the next couple of weeks. And so on the idea of pressuring people to decide whether or not they want to stay, does OUSA have any advice for students in this situation? Um, my advice is firstly just to go to student support. So it really depends on... Um, so there's some new tenancy laws which... OUSA is currently kind of coming up with some messaging about um, which clarify that you actually have the right to continue your tenancy um, into a periodic tenancy, which is when the tenancy goes on indefinitely. So most students have a fixed term tenancy, which goes for exactly one year. And so now under the new laws, you have the um, you you have the right to continue that tenancy um, if you want to. So the landlord can't say no. Um, the interesting thing is is that a lot of property management companies have encouraged or made um, students sign separate agreements stating that they waive that right to carry on to a periodic tenancy. And whether that those agreements are enforceable is kind of unknown because the statute kind of says, well, if tenants agree um, to not continue, that's fine. Um, so whether that signing of that agreement before your tenancy even starts constitutes an agreement is not tested in the tribunal or the courts or anything like that. So we don't actually know um, if you have signed one of those agreements, um, go to student support and we can kind of go from there if you really want to re-sign. Um, but the property management companies and OUSA aren't sure whether those agreements are legal. So it's we're really in a grey area. If you're being pressured to sign and you haven't signed one of those agreements – just say no. Um, uh, give yourself as much time to think as you need. Um, probably don't take forever because you're legally now entitled to take a long time. But, um, 
yeah, take a reasonable period of time, you know, think about it into sort of August or so um, because the issue is now is that if you... Um, you're legally entitled to not tell your landlord up until 28 days before the tenancy ends now, which is actually a change from last year. Um, what landlords are worried about is that if you do that, then you're going to decrease the availability of flats for the end of the year. So other students aren't going to be able to go through and look at your flat. Um, and so we're going to have like half as many or something like that as we normally do. So yeah, it's a very complicated issue, but um, whether you've signed one of those agreements or not is really important. And if you haven't, just wait a reasonable period of time. Excellent. And so for the students facing tenancy issues more broadly, what support and advice can OUSA provide and where would they find this? Um, so the, every every time for any kind of issue ever is just to go to OUSA Student Support. You can find all the links and things that you need on the OUSA Student Support Hub Students looking for any support, tenancy-related or otherwise, can head to ousasupporthub.org.nz for advice. That was Quentin Jane talking to OUSA Residential Representative Patrice Lesueur. Up next, I will be speaking to Otago, Otago Associate Professor of Sociology, Melanie Bears, about consent education and sex education in New Zealand. But first, for music, we have BNA with grey sweatpants. You are listening to Te Reo Irirangi Kotahi, and this is the news.
Last week, the Ministry of Education announced the release of new resources designed to improve the teaching of sex education in high schools. However, these resources have proved to be contentious as they have prompted wider discussions about the state of sex and consent education in New Zealand. Here to discuss this with us is Associate Professor Melanie Berris of the University of Otago's Sociology Department. Thank you for joining us, Melanie. Oh, thank you for having me. The introduction of these resources is concurrent with the discontinuation of the present consent education program. What effect will this program cessation have? Um, yeah, so ACC is discontinuing their Mates and Dates program, and so Mates and Dates is actually a lot more than just a consent program. It was a healthy relationship program broadly, and only part of what they did was around consent. Um, so what that means that they're discontinuing it is that it'll put a lot more focus on schools and individual schools to address their needs in terms of sexuality education and healthy relationships um, and sexual violence prevention broadly, um, which in some ways schools may be better adapted to address the needs of their own populations, but some people also say that they also need upskilling in how to work with their students in this space. In an interview with Stuff.co.nz, you said that consent education doesn't solve sexual violence. What should we Mm -hmm. instead be looking at? Yeah, so the reason I said that first off is that um, consent education is largely configured as teaching people how to communicate about sex, and there's a lot of great benefits to teaching people how to communicate clearly about sex. But the problem with sexual violence is not a communication problem. It's not about people not understanding. And um, I kind of alluded to, you know, if you've got a problem with your car and your engine's not working and a paint job isn't going to fix the problem. And it's kind of something similar. So what we really need is an engine overhaul. So we actually really need to look and challenge uh, our assumptions about dating and sexuality the pressure that's put on young people today um, to have sex or to have certain kinds of sex, um, and that doesn't really necessarily foster um, ethical relating or, you know, thinking about what they want for themselves because there's a lot of pressures to do things in particular ways. Related to that point, New Zealand has one of the highest rates of sexual violence anywhere in the OECD, and this could indicate Mm -hmm. that there is a cultural aspect to it. Um, Mm -hmm. Is this so, and and what steps would need to be taken in order to confront this culture? Yeah, so that's a great question, and you're right, we do have high rates, and and it is probably related to uh, some cultural aspects. And New Zealand is also known for having um, a binge drinking culture, and I'm sure that those two things are related. Um, And that's, I guess, what I mean when I say an engine overhaul, is really looking at our assumptions and the way in which we approach sex and sexuality and drinking. Um, And, you know, and there's a gendered aspect to it, too. There's certain pressures put on women and different ones that are put on men that kind of foster um, a rape culture, if you will, or a culture that at least condones sexual violence. Um, And it's those things that we really need to address. And... In terms of the ACC funding, I think that this is what ACC are attempting to do because what they want is a much more of a community-driven approach. So um, programs in schools are good and they're very important, um, but they're not enough. And so um, ACC have reconfigured what they're doing to try and promote a much more of a community-based model that would and across our communities in terms of ages and those in school and outside of school and parents and and basically include everybody. 
Australia has already agreed to make consent education compulsory. How does this mm-hmm. compare to internationally, and, and why is New Zealand so behind? Um, so internationally, I think Australia is probably one of the first to say that consent education is mandatory and compulsory. Um, that's not an, a direction that I would suggest that New Zealand goes, I think they need to make sexual violence prevention education compulsory, but not consent education. Um, And so then I don't necessarily think that New Zealand is far behind. In some ways, the sexuality education um, in general, New Zealand probably is a bit behind some Scandinavian countries, but also ahead of some other countries um, like the U.S., for example. Um, And so I think... Yeah, I don't think it's so much that New Zealand is behind or just kind of doing things differently. And with these big changes that ACC has put forward, um, of which these new guidelines, I think, kind of configure into that in some way, um, we sort of remains to be seen the impact of what that's going to be more broadly. Students responded positively to the idea of consent education and sexual mm-hmm. violence prevention. Do you think this will impact how government makes decisions about the introduction of future programs designed to prevent sexual violence? Yeah, I mean, I think consent education is really in favour right now, and I think in part because it seems like a really easy and straightforward solution. If we just teach people how to communicate about sex, then no one will have sex without consent, and then we won't have sexual violence. Um, and so I think that does have a lot of purchase. And, and from what I've seen, I think the government is trying to be responsive to the needs of students and to students' voices, as well as the voices of others, which um, I think largely is a really good thing. Again, thank you for joining us, Melanie. You're welcome. Coming up on the show, we I spoke with Martin Newell from Grounded Kiwis about their win against the Ministry of Health in the High Court on Wednesday, where the High Court ruled that it was inevitable that the lottery process operated unjustly in individual cases. Now we have Judah Kelly with Apathy. You are listening to R1 News here on Radio 1. Stay tuned. <laughs> for someone you don't you find it funny somebody you once knew you like business pens cool shirts blazer at a top hat are you insecure to give into that i said how you played nice caught you staring into mine was i insecure to give into that Cause I only 
the ocean calling out his name Born into that game Boards on the roof Cruising coast to coast with a red wet suit We got nothing to lose Right on golden stages My vacation burns up to your feet Radio 1, you're listening to R1 News. That was Flaxies with King of the Reef. The Grounded Kiwis group have won their case on Wednesday against the managed isolation lottery system. In October 2021, the Grounded Kiwis group filed a judicial review claim in the High Court opposing the government's managed isolation MIQ lottery system. The group argued that the government had operated the MIQ system as a breach of the New Zealand Bill of Rights Act, 1999. We are speaking with Grounded Kiwi spokesperson Martin Newell about the case and why MIQ has been deemed unjust by the High Court. Welcome to the show, Martin. Thanks for having me. So yesterday the High Court found that whilst MIQ itself was justified, the lottery system used between September and December last year was unjust and didn't take into account individual circumstances. Why is this win important? It's, you know, firstly, we're thrilled with the, the, the decision. One thing that perhaps some people might be a little bit confused about is that you know, they thought that we were challenging MIQ itself. Um, we, we never had a problem with MIQ. We recognised that it was you know, a vital part of the elimination strategy, which 
you know, we also never challenged in the case. What we took issue with was the way that parts of the system operated. The criteria for emergency allocations were far too narrow. And in particular, the lottery system that was used last year uh, didn't recognize individual circumstances and give priority to people that perhaps have been waiting too long or you know, have a greater need than others. And I think we're all familiar with the concept of queuing. Uh, if you go to a restaurant and you line up for something, or someone just walks to the front of the queue and you've been there for 20 minutes, you feel a bit aggrieved. Um, and it was just about having that principle of fairness recognised. And you know, we have something in New Zealand called the Bill of Rights Act. And uh, what we see as a foundational right of that um, act is the um, right for New Zealanders to be able to return home. The process of booking a MIQ spot was deemed too tightly constrained by the court and it did not prioritise New Zealand citizens over non-citizens, nor did it take into account the need or delay experienced by each citizen. Do you think that a different system that accounted for individual needs would work better during this pandemic? Yeah, I think so. I think, you know, that's for us ultimately what... um, would have made this a, a fairer system. And the judge recognised that, that the government could have taken simple steps that would have been able to um, have a, a more balanced approach without impinging on those rights. On that note, the government and experts agree that MIQ has saved thousands of lives. Do grounded Kiwis think that the system could have operated differently without putting lives at risk? Yeah, absolutely. You know, we think that you could have done this without impinging on on the rights of uh, uh, other Kiwis and their right to um, good health. And given that MIQ has now been dismantled, what does Grounded Kiwis want for people who have been affected by managed isolation system? What would you like to see happen for future? What we would like is uh, essentially all we're seeking is a declaratory judgment where the judge recognises the fact that um, that the rights have been impinged and uh, you know anything else from that is up to the government. That was Martin Newell, spokesperson of the Grounded Kiwis Group, on their win against the Ministry of Health in the High Court on Wednesday. The court ruled that the lottery system itself was unjust. Earlier in the show, news reporter Quinton Jane spoke to Patrice Lesueur, the OUSA residential representative, about the Cutler's flat drop, which on Tuesday saw the first of the flats for 2023 released to prospective tenants. After that, we spoke with Associate Professor Melanie Barris about the government's release of new sex sex education materials for teachers and corresponding repeal of consent education programs. Our news will return tomorrow at 11am. Ka kite anō. Next up, we have Remy Wolf with Liz. Stay tuned.
was run through, feeling queasy. My mind's in blue and bliss from just one kiss, tisk tisk. Eyes wander, body stone. My mind travels all alone. Flicker, flicker in the distance. Her eyes glisten and my body starts to listen. Breathe in, breathe out. Words spilling out my mouth. I thought I couldn't speak. I thought I couldn't breathe. I know I should've. I said I could've. I thought I would've. Push it, push it till I crack. Push it, push it till I crack, crack. Sunny days just around the corner.
Thanks for listening to a Radio 191 FM podcast. There are heaps more at r1.co.nz.